Hi, I'm Elliot Gunnell. On this episode of Constant Change, we're going to explore the extended theme of perspective. So in recent days, I've been thinking, what does that really mean? What does that word really mean? I'm not sure. But when you see someone waiting, as if the dog is a travel agent to move from one lingering smell of a long-gone rat to the another of a dog, that's something that makes you think. Us humans spend the majority of our lives calling the shots. We decide where we want to spend our vacation days and why we want to spend them in Houston or in Manitoba. We linger in restaurants while our significant other indulges mutual friends in the whitewater rafting story, a story that the friends have probably heard before and that you could repeat as a schoolboy does uh, with the Pledge of Allegiance. We are the air traffic controllers of our lives, or so we think. Our view of the dog and the person where the dog is deciding can easily be flipped. We can choose to see the dog as merely resting after an arduous adventure rather than being the Napoleon pulling the human around. But then, of course, we can never see what that dog can see, the time scale of that dog, the sensitivity of their senses, provides survival, but it can also overwhelm. Our perspective on what is around us can change. And that change can be a little bit scary. It changes us, and it also changes what we observe. Today, I went to People Watch. This activity is pretty simple. You go to a place, you take up some space, and you open your eyes. Now, in this world, the natural balance is that you are also being watched when you watch others. Yet to be an active observer, or so I'm told, you need to be deeply aware of yourself. Sitting in lecture recently at university, we have been encouraged in our recent lessons to observe others is to observe the self. We hear the practice of the senses are the key to observing. Yet I've had difficulty with this topic of perspective all my life. The scariest thing as a young kid for me was not a clown, a life without a favorite toy, or an external threat. You want to know mine? A reoccurring nightmare. It's quite simple to set up, and I hope I don't scare you with the description, but I'm in the middle of what looks at first glance to be an ice hockey arena. While I'm standing in the center, I can't see if I'm a young child or an adult or an older person, but rather I just see kind of this this idea of what is my perspective. That perspective starts to shift to an overview of myself in the middle. It's just me in the middle of what seems to be an ice hockey arena. The next thing that would usually happen would be this feeling of the gla- the plexiglass around the arena moving slowly in towards the center, closing in on me. But then the most amazing thing would happen. It would then expand outward past where it initially was and then inward again. And then it would do that multiple times at varying speeds until I had 
to wake up. It was scary. It was scary as a young kid to see what would have been a static object, a static space, change in front of your eyes. And it made me feel so deeply uncomfortable that I tried to run away from that sort of feeling for most of my life. Now that did change when I got to high school. I read a book in my junior class, um, English class called um, uh, Language in Thought and Action. It's by uh, an author named Hayakawa. And, and there was one lesson in that book, if anyone here has taken uh, advanced placement uh, language and composition, you will understand what I'm about to talk about. But there's this idea in language called the abstraction ladder, as Hayakawa puts it. He talks about this, this, this thing we do with our language where we, we kind of uh, put things into abstraction and then we also dig in on the details and we can hide the true meaning of what we want to say by running um, words and language up the abstraction ladder or what he calls the abstraction ladder. And we can find ourselves in the muddiness of detail at the bottom of the abstraction level, up at the bottom of the, the, the abstraction ladder with this super detailed look at something where you can't even see what's going on, right? And so as a, as a young, impressionable high school student still really uh, trying to find out what the world was really like, and I, I'm still in that category, by the way, folks, um, to hear a lesson that made it okay to see something from the big picture view and also from the detailed view and to know that those extremes are actually not helpful in either scenario to observe something that is, that is symbolic and real, um, that lesson has been mirrored in what I'm currently going through in university and also in my life, <laughs> right? Which is an amazing uh, correlation of timelines, right? Where one part of your life is, is experiencing this new uh, knowledge and the other part starts to actually um, take on the lessons, right? <laughs> um, I have had a recent um, exploration, I would call it, with this idea of what is our reality. Why did I talk about a dog at the top of the episode? Well, that dog, it has a reality. The owner of that dog also has a reality. And I can't actually observe that reality without kind of understanding myself, right? Because what I look at is I see a dog and I see an owner but what I don't see is actually the, the, the relationship that that dog has with that owner. Now, that dog could be doing a lot more than we would ever think, right? But as the onlooker, we only see the interaction in front of us. There was this amazing uh, thing that I heard from uh, one of my professors um, 
Professor Mahmoud, if you're if you're listening, this is uh, this is something that really changed my mind. Um, you said that, and I'm quoting here, um, or paraphrasing. Uh, moreover, uh, there was an idea that that before you've met somebody, or before you've even kind of interacted with somebody, they don't exist. Now that's a very extreme position. And I think uh, my professor was illuminating that for for a a kind of a an effect um, to kind of make us think in, in different ways. But I, I've been thinking about it a lot with um, with my apartment building. I live in an apartment building, and there's a, there's a lot of doors um, that I pass uh, before I get to my door, um, and I know it's inside my apartment. I know uh, how I've laid it out. Um, I, you know, me and my roommate have decided uh, where we're going to put things uh, and and why we put them there, and and that that's our reality. I know what that looks like. I wake up to it almost every day, and yet I pass all these doors with these different people who live there, and I don't know what I don't know what's behind those doors. You know, as if it's a if as if it's a um, crooked game of the the Price is Right, but um, <laughs> you know that. It doesn't exist for me, but to someone who has that key, it does exist, right? And for someone who lives there, it does exist in a very vivid and real way. So what's the bigger point here? Well, the bigger point is um, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been kind of thinking a lot about uh, who am I to judge another person if I'm not prepared to look at and deeply observe myself that leaves the question who am I right that that's the main bulk of that question which is who am I wow that's something that uh that I think I'm grateful to have the the space um both um in a physical and a mental way to think about that question that's a big question Right, but when you, but when you are tasked with your daily activity as a student, and your professor gives you big concepts to think about, you really don't have any other choice but to look at it in your life's perspective, right? In your own existence, in your life, right? So there are things that we do every day. For example, um, you know, we we go to work every day. Some people go to work every day. And I think sometimes uh, certain things become habitual. But when, you're, when, you're, when your main job as a student is to be a learner, you also kind of become a teacher for your own life, <laughs> right? If anyone's a student out there, um, you probably understand how that works, right? Uh, it's, it, it's not just homework. It's not just homework, and it's not just sitting in class. If you really take up the idea of I am a student first, or whatever is at the top of what, what I like to call the, 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 the pyramid, right? Whatever is at the top of your laundry list, the most important thing that you do every day or that you consider in your life, that thing actually connects to all the other things that you're doing because it's at the top. It's, it's the most, it's the front of mind kind of thing. So when I get tasked in class 
with a, a reading that deals with perspective, rationality, or, or, or yeah, just in general, looking at what is real, observation, all these different things, I can't help but going to the park and sitting down on the bench and looking at what's going on in, in the park and seeing people with the dogs and playing and, and all these different things, you know, I can't help it because I've absorbed so much of what I'm trying to read. Right. And I say trying to, because we can never actually understand the fullness of whatever we're in at that time. Right. But then it becomes, who am I? Well, I am. It's a big statement. It's a big say, I am, right? I am enough. I am enough for myself and for others, I think. It's interesting because I think I am captive to the information age experience of knowing. If you think about it, many generations did not know everything about everyone, every place, or exactly um, all of the things going on at every moment all over the world. Our circles were much smaller thousands of years ago. For thousands of years, we were dealing with how far could we walk? Who was in our neighborhood? Or our village or hamlet. I recently went um, into the, the the countryside for for the the Easter break um, in here in Sweden, and you find not only the big sh- the big um, the big cities uh, where there's there's many people living there and everything is hustly and bustly, but you also find these kind of tiny groupings of houses that could have existed and sustained themselves. Only in a timeline that is not the past 100 years, right? Now it seems a little silly because we can drive a car, you know, or we can take a high-speed train or anything like that. But before, you just had a horse, you know, and practical problems like how many stones or boulders left by glaciers that were in the piece of land that you bought or inherited determined the success of your farm, right? That is a reality that we don't have to worry about nowadays. If you don't like the place that you're living, there are ways to move around that. You can you can go study somewhere, you can go live someplace else. You can you can also uh, use technology to make the place that you're living better, right? And now, of course, there are obvious um, uh, uh, questions of equality and equity there. But for the most part, we can solve some of those problems that were unsolvable to past generations. You couldn't move all the boulders out of your field because you didn't have a tractor. You know, And even if it's hard work with a tractor, imagine not having a tractor. right? So the bigger point would be sometimes we know too much, I think. And the only reason I say that is because we actually are taking in more than our senses can handle sometimes, right? And I find myself in this this position as well. Um, I have um, millions and millions and millions of songs on my on my devices that I can access at any time and anywhere, 
right? That's the beauty of these subscription services nowadays. Um, and there's also infinite amounts of podcasts. There's infinite amounts of articles. There are there are bajillions of posts on Instagram and uh, and Facebook and all these different platforms and Twitter and you know we we can go on and on and on and on and on and, and we can take as many photos as we'd like and we can we can do all of these things that we could never thought we could send a million text messages make a million calls for hours on end and it costs us marginal amounts of of uh, of of money and yet i hear stories about my my family writing letters to each other maximizing every inch of the air mail paper and i think now well i i call my i call my family for at least a cumulative amount between all the different people that that call me um call them for about an hour a day, I would say, at least. And so there is a difference (laughs) between what we actually have now at our fingertips, what we are able to observe, what we are able to take into account, and the real big questions of our lives that are not being mirrored. We can do so many things that last forever now. We can make a podcast and send it out into the ether, and it actually might stay there longer than we'll be able to uh, to listen to it. We can we can make a song and share that song, and people around the world can hear that song, which is the most amazing thing. And yet, on the most individual level, at the most core of it, humans, I think, in a little bit of a part of me, can can feel overwhelmed when things get a little too big. You know, when something gets a little too big for its own good, for example, um, when 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 we're able to access all of the known information in the world at any time, that can be a blessing and equally a curse, right? And I take that approach with a lot of different things looking at life. Um, it's a blessing and a curse, but there's a big parallel mirror that happens when we look at the question of who am I, what is my life? That question has a beginning and an ending, right? It's when we, when we, when we are born and when we eventually die. Now, hopefully we, we live a long life, but there is something uh, concerning when everything that we're around could potentially outlive or outpace us. Are we the dog that is being walked or are we walking the dog? And I'm not sure if there's actually a, a real flow to what is right here. I'm not sure that we can actually understand that we are walking the dog in terms of we are in control of the of the world around us and the perspective that we hold on the world is truly ours or is it actually the world that gives us this perspective right where we live who we talk to what we eat where we go that actually gives us this new perspective because when i was in the rural countryside of sweden and i came back to a place where i've lived um, I felt like I looked at it with new eyes, with a new appreciation, right? And when I saw these dogs kind of 
looking and smelling things and and walking around in the park today, I thought, wow, they can see beyond what I can see. They have a perspective to which I do not have, right? So if I were to even know where my place was, would I actually feel comfortable there, A, and B, if I knew exactly what I was going to do and I wasn't exploring, therefore I knew my place and I knew what it was, would it feel any different than being in a grocery store line with a basket filled with goat cheese, potatoes, leeks, and olives? I'm in line. I know where I'm supposed to be. And yet there is something about knowing your exact place that is boring. It's boring. And so if we actually embrace the challenge of getting to know ourself and understand that that process never ends, that we will never actually get to know ourselves because not only do when do when we get to know ourselves we change the world around us but the world itself changes us as we get to know ourselves right this allows us in some way i guess to reverse engineer the world right and i use the term engineer because i feel that we have a decision to make when we want to make the world more equitable more comfortable more inhabitable and more livable We won't ever understand our place in the world because not only does the world change us, but we are changing the world, right? But getting to know ourself is a time that is well spent and learning and having a hunger for the curiosity of the world is a life well spent. Therefore, I believe we will never know what our place is, and looking for it is a fool's errand. If we were to find our place, how would that feel, right? And to others, would it be like looking at a dog that had seen a long-gone rat? Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share this with someone who has changed your ideas about the world. I would like to send a special thanks um, to all of the people that have helped me to develop uh, the way that I look at the world. Uh, Whether you know it or not, whether you were the one walking your dog in the park today, or you were my English teacher, or you're a family member of mine, or a good friend. Um, You have helped uh, make this podcast and also uh, me as a individual um, uh, a possibility. So thank you. Folks, I am the head chef and the bottle washer of this podcast. Uh, This is a one-man show and we do not make stops at 144th and 143rd Street today. Our podcast is distributed by Simple Cast. Our theme song today by Andrew Codeman. So long for now. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected.